Okay. For our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Matthew Steele entitled, Who's Mentor? Mr. Steele. I have to apologize to Reg. You asked me the other night what my topic is going to be on. I'm like, oh, I think something about Elijah. Sorry, Reg. So I hope for most of us, at some point in our lives, either in the past, uh, now, or continuing maybe on into the future, that we will be blessed to have what you could call a very special relationship. I'm not talking about the relationship between England and the, and the U.S. I'm talking about a very special and unique relationship. A relationship with somebody that acts as a guide. Somebody, uh, a person that is a, an advisor, a counselor, an instructor of sorts, a teacher. Perhaps this person is somebody that challenges us to do a little bit better. In love, in patience, in kindness. But nonetheless, they, they push us and they encourage us to do better, to improve. Someone that may even test us, try us a little bit, to see if we are really getting better, more skilled, more capable in whatever sphere of life that may be. As you know, there is a special word for that kind of person. It is a mentor. A very unique and special relationship. The word mentor, which is, uh, really shouldn't come as any great surprise to us, right? Because the Greeks were big on learning and education and, and improving the the muscles of the mind, and so it is of Greek origin, and it means exactly what I've just described, someone who is wise and a trusted counselor, an influential supporter, a sponsor, a teacher. We can have mentors in our professional lives, in our education, perhaps, as we are going through higher education. We can just have mentors in life in general, can't we? People that we have learned from and that have advised us. We can have mentors at work uh, as we continue our career. And more importantly, we can have mentors in our Christian faith. Very important. And so perhaps right now you're thinking back to individuals in your life that have served these roles, that have filled these, this kind of role. Uh, maybe they filled it for a short period of time and, and then we grew or we, we move apart physically or whatever the situ situation may be. For myself, there's just a, a few people that I consider thus far to have been my mentors in life. The first and, of course, probably the most enduring was my dad. He was my first mentor. And I was blessed to have that because we don't always have dads necessarily who are good mentors, do we? We may not have a good enough relationship, and that, that, was, that would be really sad. But I was blessed to have that. You know, my, both of my parents were tremendous teachers, educators to me. My mother 
taught me so very much from a very early age. But there is something unique and different, isn't there, about fathers and sons. And if that relationship can be set up right, and we can overcome those challenges that we might sometimes have, it's a very unique opportunity to have a fantastic mentor relationship. And so that is really where my dad is. And the reason why is because, well, dads and sons have a critically important relationship. And he guided me. He brought me into an understanding of things in my faith that I hadn't had before. As my faith began to deepen, my understanding of theology began to grow and mature. And I'm talking, you know, within uh, my middle teens and older teen years, my dad was that guide. He was that mentor to me. And he helped me through these fundamental questions of our faith. And, and, and if I could define those two questions, those two critical areas, because I was raised Baptist. I was raised on the Bible. I understood who God was, who Jesus was, and that Jesus died for my sins. But I was learning more, and I was learning some unique things that I hadn't experienced before. So those two areas that are fundamental, I think, is that the law of God is for the Christian to keep, that it is a blessing to us, that it is a light to us, that it is a, an aid to us, and that the holy days... And the Sabbath is fundamental to obtaining a greater understanding of the gospel. So if I had to characterize the two main points that my father really helped me with, it would be those two. He helped me navigate these questions with all their ramifications. And there were ramifications, both in my own household and my church life. Moving from an active larger Baptist church to a small group that met every other Sabbath in a library and then for a short while in a pub, but we won't go into that. <laughs> there were no other patrons there at the time, so. But it was a very spiritual experience. Where's Ron on the drum? So there were ramifications. And he guided me through those things. Not telling me what to do, but answering my questions. Being a mentor. And allowing me to explore these truths, these broader understandings of Christianity, with him for myself. But when I remember those times and those conversations and all that excitement and that learning of these wonderful truths about the Bible, there was another voice that I heard alongside that of my dad's. And this voice came from these mysterious little white cassette tapes. Anybody remember those cassette tapes? You should all put your hands up. It was a baritone voice filled with lots of wisdom and intelligence and biblical education, lots of powerful teaching. Behind that voice was an incredible intellect, and like I said, a biblical education. 
I am, of course, talking about Ron Dart. Tremendous influence in our little branch, in our little corner of the churches of God. And so often in our Bible studies, my dad and I, we would, we would be listening to Ron and be like, wait, 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 wait. Put that on pause a second. Anybody else do that? Let's talk about what he just said here. What does he mean by that? And so he and my dad, Ron had no idea, were my mentors. Together. Learning together. And we would even do that in Sabbath services. It'd be like, okay, that's so-and-so, that's so-and-so. Oh, Ron Dart. Okay, let's put this one on. He was our favorite. And we would debate, and we'd discuss, and we would listen, and we would learn. And if you told me as a 19-year-old kid keeping the Feast of Tabernacles for the first time in Filey, England, that I would get to meet Ron Dart and learn directly from him and count him as a mentor, I would have just laughed at you. He was a very far away figure. And, uh, you know, I won't tell Curtis if you don't, but I, I suppose maybe I might have idolized him a little bit. <laughs> or I had admired him greatly. And so the notion that I would get to meet him and, and, and learn from him, that would have been very surprising to me. And yet that's exactly what happened. I did meet him. I was able to have conversations with him and learn directly from him and ask questions and count him as a mentor, personally. And I wish I'd made more of that than I did. But <laughs> maybe naivety of youth, maybe a little bit intimidation. I could have asked more questions. I could have learned more when I had the opportunity. But nonetheless, I did learn from him. He was a mentor, he was a guide, a teacher. And I will always be very grateful for that, and always very grateful for Ron Dart and the role that he played in my biblical education. At his funeral on Wednesday, that was something I heard a lot, both during the funeral and then after, and the conversations with, with different individuals. They were all expressing how much of a mentor Ron was. And the, I don't know, Renee, there was 250, 300 or so people there, and I bet you they were all felt like he was their mentor. I don't know how he had any time to do anything else, but, but he was. So that was a consistent theme. Why did I tell you all of this? Why did I bring any of this up? What is, what has this got to do with us today? Well, I suppose the reason is threefold, to follow Curtis's three bullet points examples from earlier. Firstly, if you don't have a mentor in your faith and in your Christian walk, then you need to find one. You need to find one. Secondly, as you grow and learn and mature in your faith, you better be prepared to become one, to become a mentor. And then thirdly, if you have been a mentor to someone, or are now a mentor to someone, then you need to find a way to, to successfully transition that relationship when it is time 
and before it's too late. And we'll get into that in a little while. So going back to the first point, if you don't have a mentor in your faith, in your Christian walk, then you need to find one. Why is that? Why would you need a mentor? Isn't that a sign that you're not capable of learning yourself? That you're, you don't have the right skills? I cannot stress how vital it is for us to have a mentor. If we are serious about Christian faith, serious about following this way, we have to have a mentor. We see that throughout the pages of the Bible, and we see it in the lives of successful Christians, like Rondard, who would tell you the kinds of mentors that he had. And you can go listen to his sermons, and he talked about them in his sermons. As young adults, as teenagers, as 20 or 30 or 40-somethings, even 50 or 60 or 70 or 80-somethings, we still need mentors, guides, helpers. If for no other reason that life keeps changing, doesn't it? If you're 20 now, you've never been 30. And if you're 30 now, you've never been 50. And with all those challenges that come on life. And eventually, you will come up to some challenges that you have not met. So mentors are vital. In fact, the Apostle Paul makes this very clear in Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, But for you, Titus, speak these things which are proper, and sound, uh, which are proper for sound doctrine that the older men be sober and reverent and temperate, sound in faith and in love and in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine. A little wine is okay, ladies, it's all right. But not much wine. Teachers of good things. Men and women are both together. He says, likewise, all these elements are what we should be. Older men and women. What's the age range? He didn't give us one. If you're older than someone younger, then you can be a mentor. Up to their level of your level of experience, right? Because we need to keep growing together. So men and women both. Let me watch have an ability to teach. And perhaps an ability to teach is the most important thing that we can have. In my experience, a mentor who is able to teach without you feeling like you've just got a lesson <laughs> is really the best kind of mentor, wouldn't you say? It's natural. It just flows. And we learn. And we improve. And we become equipped. Verse 4, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands. Renee said I shouldn't say this, but I guess husbands are hard to love. <laughs> but I'd also suggest that husbands love their wives, right? He's not building one side or the other with these things. He's just pulling examples about church life, about how we live together, how our families are together, how our church life is together. And he's pulling from experiences that make sense to each one of these individuals here. 
to love their children. Apparently children are hard to love too. And, and, and you know, we can ask that question, well, what did he mean? I mean, were the, the Greek world so messed up that they lost all love for their children? Or was there something else that he was getting at? Is there love and then love? Love that's instructive. Love that is beyond just having affection and emotion for. But the kind of love necessary to go that extra mile when you're extra tired to make sure that they have that in instruction or that thing that they really need. A different kind of love, I think, is what he was looking at. So as young parents, maybe we could do with some help. Renee and I sought some help. We had twins, so you need help when you have twins, by the way, Amanda, just in case. <laughs> we need help. We've not experienced some of these things, especially as, you know, first-time parents. There's no shame in asking, hey, I have a question. I see that all the time on Facebook with mothers posting their experiences or questions about things to do with their children. There is such a wealth of knowledge and experience all around us, right here in this room, in so many aspects of life, in professional careers, in education, in all kinds of areas, and especially in this Christian faith and this walk that we're all on together. Mentoring and teaching passes on valuable lessons Life lessons from one generation to the next. So to our teenagers and young people here, I want to say something to you. I don't know if you've had this experience. Well, you wouldn't have had this experience because you're still there. But I find myself often wishing I could go back and tell my younger self to just relax, to enjoy life, Quit worrying about all these things. Life is going to unfold as it's going to unfold, and none of your worrying and fretting about it will do a thing about it. I wish I could go back and tell myself that. And there are real worries and concerns, aren't they? Where am I going to end up in life? What career path am I going to take? Will I find that right girl or that right boy? Or where is my faith going to take me? Fundamental questions, important questions. <laughs> I wish I could just go back and tell myself, don't worry so much. A mentor can. A mentor's been there. You know, maybe a really old mentor has a hard time remembering being a teenager. But we've all been there. Right? And we can share that experience. Share the worries, the doubts, the fears and the successes and the blessings that came by following God, following his way and his guidance in our lives. A mentor, a real mentor, can be just like going back in time and telling ourselves not to worry. Through their experience and their insight, they can help alleviate some of those fears. They can put our dreams into context. They can give us a different point of view. Like I said earlier, you might think that having a mentor in life, certainly as a young person, definitely as a young man, you know, 
Maybe, maybe you feel like, well, I've got to be responsible for myself and make my own decisions. And to ask for help, ask for guidance, well, that, that's a sign that I, I don't know very much or I'm, I'm, I'm not um, taking care of the things that I should take care of. And yet, that's a false argument. This is how we know. At the beginning of the definitive work on wisdom, the book on wisdom in the Bible, Solomon says this in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 1. He says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion, a wise man will hear and increase learning, and the man of understanding will attain wise counsel. We are wise when we seek the input of our mentors. We are wise. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will obtain that counsel will add it to what we already have. So in reality, choosing not to listen or ask or learn from a mentor when we could have is really a sign of ignorance. Not that you got it all together. And I'm talking to myself. And so we look to that counselor, that mentor, because we are wise. Solomon said that in the book, he himself wanted to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. And then he says that famous line, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We need mentors, wise advisors, individuals that can add knowledge, add experience, add insight. Go back, if you would, to Titus chapter 2 and verse 5. Paul continues showing some of the kinds of things mentors can teach us. To be discreet, to be chaste, to be homemakers. You might be saying, well, that applies to the ladies. I think us men can make homes too, and should. Married men should be building our homes with our wives. Good, obedient to their own husbands. You know, I, sometimes we get taken off track by, by maybe Paul's language. He's not talking about some kind of misogynistic worldview. He's talking about submitting husband to wife, wife to husband in the Lord, as Christ did for the church. These are important lessons for us to teach. Important lessons for us as maybe older mentors to teach young people preparing to get married, in marriage. Marriage is hard enough without ignoring the opportunities to teach and feed into, feed into the lives of those individuals. So, that the word of God he says, 
may not be blasphemed. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but when we, when we find individuals in our congregation that have fallen away, do we bear some responsibility? Did we make ourselves available as mentors, as guides, for them to draw on? Because they've blasphemed the word. It's a tough question, and I'm not saying I have the answers. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. When we look at all these different things, we can add in maybe the, the life experiences and the lessons and the input that we need in our life. We can add those into this passage. Because what essentially Paul was trying to say is, I want you to be mentors. I want you to teach. I want you to pass on your experience. And he really wasn't asking. He was demanding. Titus, tell folks there in your church to do this. It's vital. Mentoring, maybe our modern word, but that's what Paul was getting at. He's trying to get us to focus on these things. However, there is something um, vital in, in this, this whole process. It's not good enough to just identify somebody and say, okay, I'm going to make them their men my mentor. There's a danger in there. We have to do this right. A mentor has to be qualified, right? We can't just pick anybody to be our mentor. It has to be qualified. I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, a teacher cannot teach what he himself does not possess, right? And that's the truth. A teacher cannot teach what he himself does not possess. I remember one time I took a IT class, uh, a server admin class, something along those lines from TCC, trying to brush up my skills. I had some knowledge of, of the software, of the operating system, but I, I wanted to improve. So I took this class. There was this adjunct professor who clearly had a day job and was doing this on the side and was absolutely awful. He couldn't teach us a thing. All he did was point to the book and point to the screen and then tell us stories of how he saved the world with his networking abilities. And you know, I like network guys. I'm a bit of a network guy myself, but I don't think I've ever saved the world with networking abilities. And he just couldn't teach because he didn't know what he was talking about. He wasn't qualified. So it's critical that we pick a mentor that is qualified. We should select someone who has the right qualities. How do we know what those qualities are? Well, Paul tells us back there in, 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 in Titus, 
second chapter, verse 2. He said that the older men be sober. So somebody that's sober, sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. And the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. You know, and I find this fascinating too, because if we look around at that mentor, that older, wiser Christian, with these kinds of characteristics. They're very similar characteristics to what uh, Paul tells Timothy later to have in a bishop or an elder. And it's fascinating that we are all to have these kinds of characteristics. And so we should look for those. We should look for those characteristics. One time, I had personal, <laughs> personal experience in choosing the wrong mentor. It's not always good to have these kind of examples, but so back in England, there was an old minister that um, I went with a problem to. I was having difficulty with something, and I wanted to, I wanted his advice and his counseling. And he was a minister, right? Ministers have all the answers, don't they? And I was like, well, told him the information. It was kind of, you know, difficult. And his response was probably worse than the TCC guy. I mean, he was really no use at all. Very flippant, dismissive, not really a problem to him. I was just kind of deflated. And it, it didn't help me at all. But in the end, I was just as much at fault as he was because I picked the wrong mentor. Maybe he didn't have experience in that area. I just made an assumption because he was a minister that he would be the a right person. Maybe your minister doesn't have that, that input, that knowledge of that specific thing that you're struggling with. Find somebody that does. Find the qualified mentor. Maybe he was just not the right mentor for me. Didn't have the right experience or knowledge, I don't know. We must be careful, even in the church, who we allow to influence us. Who we select as our guide, as our mentor. All of which leads to our second point. That as you grow and learn and mature in our, your faith, in my faith, in our faith together, we better be prepared to become a mentor. And this point, I think, speaks to those of us who have through experience and conduct maybe learned some wisdom. We have some insight. We've, we've been around the block a little bit. And we, we have learned some things that have value. To those of us that have grown in faith and knowledge, but also grace and soundness and love, you have a responsibility. If you're growing in these things, which is, well, that's the Christian walk, isn't it? Aren't we to grow in these things? Well, if we are, then I'm sorry, but you're going to start being a target to become a mentor, whether you like it or not. And it's good. And I think mentors grow themselves when they're doing these kinds of things. You have a responsibility, how you conduct yourself, how you behave in life both inside and outside of this room. 
how we conduct ourselves in the world and how those that we mentor, those that we have influence over, see us, that look to us for guidance. And this is where I think it can get really tricky because I think there's two types of mentors. The first is the formal mentor. Okay, you and I have an agreement. You're going to teach me these things and I'm going to learn from you. And maybe we have a set time where we're meeting and we're reviewing material and, and you're guiding me. And you can kind of think of that in an academic sense, perhaps, having a mentor that's guiding you through a, a period of study. And you have a specific objective at the end of it. So think of a master artist, right, to an apprentice. Or maybe to bring it up more up to date uh, in modern times, think of a Jedi master to a young Padawan. Hopefully there are no dark lords here. Is there any dark lords? Because they always come in twos, right, with the Sith. And but a Jedi master to a Padawan. Very formal. I'm going to train you, and you will be trained. So that's probably the easiest type of mentorship. But then is the informal the kind that sneaks up on you when you're not watching. And you could almost describe that as, you know, if, you, if you're a dad and you've got a little boy and he's watching what you're doing to fix something, and then he runs off and goes and starts doing the same thing with the power socket, <laughs> right? So you, <laughs> it's not that funny. <laughs> I did that, by the way. So it, it kind of carries a little bit more risk because you're unaware that it's happening. And you might be, start to become a mentor before you know it. And, and sometimes with that informal mentorship, okay, you, you kind of figure, oh, okay, I'm, yeah, I guess I'm kind of being a bit of a mentor. But then you don't know when it ends either. The lines can be blurred. And when is that person receptive to that kind of relationship anymore or not? That can be a little tricky. Maybe just good old-fashioned communication might help. Ask them. There'd be no harm in that. I made that mistake. There was a person that was engaging with me as a mentor, and I really, I didn't see myself as one, and so I guess I didn't act accordingly, and I, I made some mistakes. And I damaged a relationship. And I regret that. Maybe I should have been more aware, more aware of the influence that I can have. We should take tremendous effort to be careful how we act as mentors, as examples, how we treat those who are mentoring, who we are mentoring, and to realize when we have become that mentor. Continuing on in Titus chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul says to Titus, Remind them to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Sounds like good advice, isn't it, for us to follow as mentors. Not an evil speaker, peaceable, 
gentle, not condemning. This is, this is straight from Paul. A humble person, humbly teaching, humbly sharing our experience. And I think that humility just might be the single strongest indicator if you're looking for a mentor that you've found one. Having a genuine humility, not a false humility, not what I can only describe as a, a weak-minded humility, but a real, tangible, humble person with life experience to share, spiritual experience to share. That is probably the key to finding a good, humble mentor. Somebody that probably understands that they don't have all the answers, right? And maybe if your mentor's a little quick to tell you what's right and wrong and how to do things, you might want to reassess that relationship. Someone who knows where they have come from in life and where they are now going. And it needs to be the same place you want to go. He says in verse 3, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing and the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These are, are good and profitable to men. So if we are in this position of being a mentor to someone, to being that spiritual guide, it's critical that we are not foolish, that we're not deceived, or rather that we remember that we were once foolish, that we were once deceived, that we were once disobedient, that we were once ignorant, that we did once have immature attitudes, immature ways of looking at the world. I really like the, um, really like the line from Star Trek to keep with the sci-fi theme. Captain Picard is talking about his youthful days and he's kind of complaining about his ignorance and he said that he was in very much need of seasoning. I think I just heard somebody say that. Got a Star Trek fan out there. Live long and prosper. Very much in need of seasoning. I know I was. Hopefully I'm a little flavorful now. I don't know. I'm trying to be. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, Paul also says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just and pure and lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. 
And you might think, well, that's kind of a strange scripture to go to when we're talking about being mentors. But Paul's saying, fill yourself with good stuff. Fill yourself with good things. Live your life bringing in good things, lovely things, of a good report, virtue, praiseworthy. Bring those things into you. One, it's good for us as individuals. But more than that, as mentors, we need to look at ourselves a little bit like a museum, right? A museum who you walk through the doors and there's all these fantastic artifacts and display cases with information on the walls where things have been taken from and explained and life experience, right? Like a museum, rich, full of information that could help somebody as we mentor them. Let them roam the halls and ask questions and learn. So we need to fill ourselves so that our young Padawan, when they're ready, can learn from us. Paul says, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the grace and the, and the God of peace be with you. Paul was that museum, if you were. He was that place of learning for all of these individuals. Titus being one of them. He was a mentor to him. And he's like, share this with them that each one of them can be mentors to others. And this just keeps magnifying on. So am I saying that you should be like Paul? Absolutely. You should be like Paul. I should be like Paul. It's part of why we're here. The idea, this idea of being an effective mentor and a prepared mentor is the basis for discipleship. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. At our, our vision meeting, somebody put a, a fantastic idea and, and, and asked for a course or a, a study or something along those lines on discipleship. And I hope we do that. And I, I think we probably will do that. But this is the basis of it. Because if we can't mentor those that need that mentoring in our, in our own church family and in our broader church community, then how can we expect to build disciples from the world? We can start honing those skills as mentors here within the body. Mentorship might well be the single most effective means by which we can affect positive change in the lives of fellow Christians and the church. Mentorship. We'll be far more effective in keeping and leading and equipping our younger generations in the church by modeling productive and godly behavior than we will ever be by condemning and judging and accusing. We need to be mentors. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul said, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, 
for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now we're all familiar with that passage. But I will always associate with this to Mr. Dart. Because when he left CGI and started CEM, this was his mission statement. This is what he chose to build at the center of his ministry. You found that on all kinds of published material, on newsletters, on booklets. It's still on the website today. I just checked this morning. That was his mission statement. And it's our responsibility as mentors to be full of scripture, for us to have been corrected, been instructed, reproved by those scriptures, so that we can be equipped for every good work of mentorship. And so that those that we can mentor can be complete. You know, it's, it's an interesting passage, but it almost implies that you can still be a man of God, maybe without some of this, but you won't be complete. You won't be thoroughly equipped. We need our mentors to help us, to teach us, and we need to be willing to listen to our mentors. As we become mentors, or at least potential mentors, we have to make sure that we are ready with God-based insights. And that comes from, again, pulling all those good things into us and being prepared. And so we come to the final point on mentoring. As a mentor, you need to find a way to successfully transition that relationship when it is time and before it's too late. Now, there's a lot in that statement. We can only look at a little bit of this. Let me put it this way. We might have several different mentors in our lifetime. Some might be lifelong. Some might be so important that they stand out amongst the rest. Others are maybe for a short time, for whatever reason, and their mentorship is complete. There's nothing wrong with that. Mentoring and being mentored is going to be as varied as the people involved, right? And how we share knowledge and experience. But as we explore this last point, I'm kind of thinking this through in my perspective to be more focused on these long-term mentorship relationships. And I hope that you've had one of those or will have one of those. The best biblical example, I think, of course, you probably all will already be there, is that of Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy. Timothy seems to get a bad rap by a lot of scholars. I was doing some uh, reading on this this morning. and I didn't really realize how, how weak scholars think Timothy was. They really just think that, that everything that Paul was telling Timothy in his letters was because he needed extra help. This is remedial lessons for Timothy, apparently. And I don't see that. 
I see a very intimate relationship, a mentor to his spiritual son. And Paul is just desperately trying to pour in whatever else he can get out to fill this man up because he knows his time is short. Right? I have limited amount of time here. I need to fill you with all the wisdom and the experience and the teaching that I've received. Paul was Timothy's spiritual father. He was preparing him for a time when he would have to live without Paul. That is beautiful. That is love. That is the, the love of a mentor to his spiritual son. So I don't think it was weakness. I think it was just Paul's last opportunity to teach. Especially the second, second epistle, I think, in my mind. Very intimate transfer of wisdom, of knowledge and experience. You know, Paul did not have the ability, right, to mind meld. And I wish we could have a mind meld. It's a really neat episode of Star Trek where Picard had a mind meld with Spock's father, and, and then Spock had a mind meld with Picard. I wish we could do that. Because then throughout the generations, we'd all have little mind melts of Paul, right? But we do have that through these letters because of the relationship that Paul had with Timothy. Just listen to the, the words that Paul writes to Timothy. They're full of love. They're full of instruction and teaching in a supportive, encouraging way. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. Another Another thing that mentors need to do, right? Night and day, without ceasing. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your father Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For, the, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul knew that there would be times that Timothy, in his life, would be in dark places, would be in struggled. By all accounts, we understand that Timothy was in prison at least once. And it's referred to in, I believe it's in Hebrews. And so Paul was trying to give him wisdom and guidance to encourage him in those dark places when Paul is quite possibly long gone. And the reason that Paul knew that, the reason that Paul knew that Timothy needed these things is because he needed those things. 
because he experienced them. Remember, you, you can't teach what you don't possess yourself. He was well aware of the things that Timothy would have to endure. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this reason, let's drop down to verse 12. I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed unto him until that day. Hold fast the patent of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Hold fast that patent, the way I mentored you, the examples I showed you, the lessons I taught you, the things you saw me endure. Follow those things. Follow this pattern. Dropping down to 2 Timothy verse, uh, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me from among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Continue to mentor and to teach. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of life. He stays focused for the mission, right? That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer must first take, partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. I kind of imagine that Paul probably said that a lot. Okay, consider what I say as he's mentoring. And there's not enough time to go through all of this today. Um, see, I'm running out of time here. But we should read this. I encourage you to read this tonight in the light of being a mentor and looking for a mentor in mentorship in our congregation, in our church life. Paul was trying to fill Timothy with everything he could before it was too late. You know, when we lose long-term mentors, men and women of tremendous influence and, and impact in our lives, our worlds can be rocked, you know? We can really be hit hard. And that kind of loss, even with all the preparation that they can give us, we're still hit by it. Its impact, though, can be lessened. It can be mitigated. And Paul showed us how. He gave us a template. He gave that template to Timothy. And Timothy was kind enough to share his mail with us. And he gave it to us. If you are a mentor, I urge you to find a way to communicate to your charge those precious jewels of wisdom and experience. 
writing them down, like Paul did. I don't know if you've ever thought of that, but you could write them down and share them with those that you're mentoring. A fantastic way to preserve those. I think of Ron. We have those, don't we? He wrote so many articles and booklets and produced so many sermons. I just listened to a sermon of his a couple of days ago. He's still able to teach, and we're blessed to have that. I charge you, Timothy, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they'll heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. I just want to end on that note. Because as you mentor others, and as you receive mentorship, that point right there is vital for us all to remember. Because often mentors make the mistake of thinking that those that they have mentored need to do their ministry, follow on from their ministry, follow on from their work, to do things exactly the way they did it. Curtis pointed that out very well earlier. That's not what Paul said. Paul is an excellent mentor. He said, fulfill your ministry. It's different from mine. And I think about that, I think about why that is. Paul's not done. Paul's on hold. He's going to get back to his ministry, right? We need to have our own, each and every one of us, fulfilling our own God-given ministry. With all the lessons, yes, with all the truth and the insight and the skills and the tools that our mentors gave us but in the path that God gives us. Because in the end, when our earthly mentors fall away, who is it that was really mentoring us all along? Jesus. And it's his way, and it's the ministry that he gives us that we ought to follow.